So the big challenge is, when are you going to stop the poetry, if it's poetry, Genesis 1, and begin the history? Is it chapter 2, and so now you don't have a literal Adam and Eve? Is it chapter 3, and now you don't have a fall? Is it after chapter 6, so there's no such thing as a flood? Or do you find yourself maybe even after chapter 11, so now you don't even know, according to the scriptures, how all of the nations were divided and all the various languages linguistically. So I think you can see, once you start this thing, it's more than a slippery slope. Everything collapses. Welcome back, listeners, to the next episode of the Scripture and Plain Reason podcast. An engaging podcast where we discuss the authority and the clarity of Scripture. God's Word is true, and God's Word is clear. My name is Ryan. And my name is Brian. Well, it's great to be back here. I have to be honest, Brian, I, I spent some time editing episode one, and it went real smooth. That's is, good to hear. Yeah. I was nervous that, you know, first 12, 14 hours after we met, to record the first episode, I was like, oh no. Is <laughs> well, he going to send me a text saying, you know what, this was not a good idea. It worked. It worked well. And uh, me and Matthew, my son, do a podcast, and there's a lot more ums and uhs that I'm cutting out and a lot more deep breathing that I'm cutting out. So this went real smoothly. Oh, good. I let my uh, kids listen to some of the, uh, the clip that you sent me, and they enjoyed it. So I thought, okay. They're a tough crowds, so yeah. maybe we should try for a second. <laughs> well, I had my family do the same and got a lot of great feedback. So hopefully our listeners enjoyed it as much as us and our families. And if not, just our family can be our subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a little sad, but <laughs> we're going to keep going after it. Great. Well, we talked a lot about just the clarity and truth behind scripture in the last episode. And I think it was a great setup episode for the Scripture and Plain Reason podcast. We're going to get a little deeper today into the importance of the foundational parts of Scripture, which is ultimately Genesis. And why don't we just jump right in? Because I think this is going to go deep and it's going to go deep real quick. So why is it important to get it right from the beginning? And we know that Genesis 1 is the beginning. Yeah, it's super important, and um, I hope it's not too deep. Maybe we could start here, just as a segue from last week. Mm -hmm. Remember that story, that poem about the uh, six blind men from Hindustan? Yep, I remember. Um, you know, they come in, and they're blind. They're coming up to an elephant, and one guy touches up against him, thinks it's a wall. The other guy touches its ears, thinks it's a fan. One guy touches the trunk, thinks it's a large snake. And I think one guy touches the tail and thinks it's a, a rope of some sort. This has been used, this little poem has been used for postmodernistic pluralism, um, like what I mentioned last week from Christian Smith's book of the Bible made impossible, of pervasive interpretive pluralism, that no one really can know religion, Bible interpretation. It's all up to your own perspective. Well, let's imagine we added something, a new twist to that poem. <laughs> imagine that the elephant spoke and uh, probably would scare the heebie-jeebies out of the six blind men from Hindustan. But if he spoke and he said, I am an elephant, I mean, that changes everything, doesn't it? It does. And so if God has spoken and he has said something, and he's not only said something, but he said that he did something, 
then it's not all up to pervasive interpretive pluralism. It's not up to everybody's opinion. The elephant has spoken, and no irreverence here. God has spoken. So he begins his word with no apologetic that he exists. There's no cosmological argument here. There's no teleological argument here. It's just, in the beginning, God. (laughs) And that is the most important topic of the whole Bible, God. So if I start my Bible reading with this big question mark of, you know what, I don't have you know, in-depth Hebrew training, I don't know Hebrew poetry, I don't know about ancient Near Eastern um, religions and how that they were formed and the similarities between what I'm reading here, I'm now up for grabs. Mm -hmm. And so it's become pervasive interpretive pluralism. Maybe another um, just point of reference from last week that I could bring to the table to talk about the pertinence of this. Uh, Not long ago, I'd say two or three months ago, Um, We had pretty much everything set for our Vacation Bible School this year, and we just wanted to look over the curriculum. Curriculum comes in, and a pretty popular place that has produced VBS curriculum for us that we've used, and it was on the life and ministry of Christ. It was on some of these seven signs that are in the book of John that we actually went through as a church not Mm -hmm. too long ago. And when they came to the one where he feeds the 5,000, Ryan... I mean, what they say happened there is the little boy shared his lunch, and the miracle was not that Jesus took those few loaves and fishes and turned them into enough food for 5,000 men, not to mention the children and the women, and then had 12 baskets of leftovers. No, 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 that's not the miracle. Actually, what happened is when the little boy shared his lunch, everybody else realized, I should share too. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. (laughs) So everybody started paying it forward. Everybody started sharing their lunch, and everybody left that moment with this wonderful moral lesson from Jesus, share your lunch. That's unfortunate. Yeah. So this is what is available for kids that are supposed to be learning about Christ. Those seven signs that John particularizes in his gospel Mm -hmm. is to prove, according to John 20, that he is the Son of God. Now you take away those miraculous things. And what I'm, I'm very concerned about is this new interpretation of Genesis 1 to 11 starts with a bias. And the bias is supernatural is not possible. So it's a naturalistic, humanistic viewpoint that's coming to the scriptures. And it's already ruled out that there's anything possible beyond the natural. So Genesis 1 can't be. God created the heavens and the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is super important. If we don't get it right here, you're not going to have it right throughout the Bible because Jesus and the apostles um, all refer back to creation. And if these are not historical records, then what they say and what they build it on is inaccurate. Interesting. So two quick things. Number one, uh, I think the concept of pay it forward is a good one. It's just not a good one when you're trying to <laughs> relate it to Jesus. And... Absolutely. Yeah. I know you've got a campaign on paying it forward, and I don't want to hurt that at all. It's a great ministry you started. Uh, but but um, you're right. When you're trying to say that that's what the miracle was, you've missed it yeah. by a mile or more. And the other thing I was going to mention is the the blind man um, story 
is used in a lot of different formats. I actually just heard it last week in a corporate setting oh, did you? project management. So it's and a, how oh, were they using it? Were they saying that just everybody that, has a different perspective? Yeah, yeah. It's amazing how you can go into a meeting and everybody is thinking about something differently and therefore has a different perspective about what their expectations are from that meeting and what's to come. And it's important to lay those expectations out at the onset so that you get everybody on the same page, just like the elephant saying, I am an elephant. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so the first 11 chapters of Genesis, they are a place where many of the doctrines that we believe are in seed form. And what we see, and it's a, a study of the scriptures called biblical theology, is we see these doctrines develop from Genesis all the way to full bloom in Revelation. Mm-hmm. And so, as the old Southern preachers say, it, we believe it from cover to cover, <laughs> not including the maps, but, but but we believe it from cover to cover. We see that this is one grand meta narrative, big story, and that meta narrative or that big story of the Bible. We've often described it in four scenes. There's creation, there's the fall, there is redemption or uh, the cross, and then there's new creation or consummation. And if you take away one of those pillars from the meta narrative, the whole story collapses. Yep, comes crumbling down. So we were talking about this a little bit, and I, I know you've been hinting about it along the way. Is there any indication on the type of literature that the book of Genesis is? Yeah, the indication, all the indicators, it's historical narrative. It's not Hebrew poetry. It's not prophecy. It is a genre of historical narrative. What you have in the book of Genesis, all the way to the book of Nehemiah, actually, is this happened, then this happened. This happened, then this happened. In the first chapter of Genesis, um, one of the things you'll notice in the days of creation You'll notice the conjunction, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then we see in verse 3, and God said, in verse 4, and God saw. That's called a wah, like wah-wah <laughs> around here, a wah consecutive in Hebrew. And that's not to be complex. It just simply is like a colon that mm-hmm. we have in our punctuation. When mm-hmm. we put a colon, we're saying that the next um, words are going to be a list. So if I put, see these things below, colon... It's like a walk consecutive, yep. and a walk consecutive always mentions sequential historical accounts. Mm-hmm. This happened, and this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. So then you have begets, and you have this person lived, and they beget this person, and this person lived, and they died. So the big challenge is, when are you going to stop the poetry, if it's poetry, Genesis 1, and begin the history? Is it chapter 2, and so now you don't have a literal Adam and Eve? Is it chapter 3, and now you don't have a fall? Is it after chapter 6, so there's no such thing as a flood? Or do you find yourself maybe even after chapter 11, so now you don't even know, according to the scriptures, how all of the nations were divided and all the various languages linguistically. So I think you can see, once you start this thing, it's more than a slippery slope. Everything collapses. And the major reason is because as we study the scriptures, we notice in the book of Genesis, particularly 1 to 11, and this is back to why they're so important historically, is in biblical theology, we call it, different than systematic theology, where we systemize various doctrines Mm -hmm. and study them kind of like under topics. 
Biblical theology studies the scriptures from beginning to end, from cover to cover, and they watch doctrines develop and progress. So what we like, for instance, in Genesis 1 to 11, we see almost all of the major doctrines seed form, and then they flourish all the way to the book of Revelation. As an example, Genesis 3.15, we call it the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel, where God says to Satan, there's going to be a seed of the woman, and your seed and, and the seed of the woman, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. The seed of the woman? Well, I know that made no sense to, to Eve and no sense to Adam, and certainly probably made some sense to Satan, but... This was a prophecy of the Virgin Mary Mm -hmm. having the Lord Jesus Christ as the God-man. But this big narrative of Scripture is what we call it, our worldview or the meta-narrative. And we use four words to describe that often. We have creation, we have the fall, we have redemption or the cross, and then we finish with the new creation or the consummation of the age. If you take any of those pillars out, I think it's pretty clear, Ryan. You, you pull any of those pillars out, it all collapses. Mm-hmm. And so now you pull out the creation piece and you say, well, that's no longer essential. I mean, science has shown us that this could not have been the way we read it in Genesis 1. This has to be some type of Hebrew poetry. There has to be some kind of code hidden behind the surface of the Hebrew or the English. And um, this is the challenge. These are so vital. If we miss it here, we will see the whole faith collapse. And just to add one little more tidbit to that, Hebrews 11.3 puts it this way. Before he gives all of that list of heroes of faith, he says, by faith, we believe that the universe was created by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. In other words, he's saying, Ex nihilo, that Latin phrase, it means it was made out of nothing. So Mm. very vital. I love that. Well, I think this is a good spot for a break. So why don't we take a break and we'll be back soon. Where can you access the scripture and plain reason podcast? You can listen on any of your favorite listening platforms. We're on Spotify, Apple podcasts, and many others. Also, we'd love to hear how we're doing. So if you have any feedback, please leave us a comment. Or of course, if you have any ideas for future episodes, we would love to hear those as well. Also, you can go to our website, which is scriptureandplainreason.com. On that website, you'll notice there'll be links to the podcast as well as blog posts. Many of those posts are going to be uh, further content that we uh, discussed on the show. You can also go to our Facebook page, which is Scripture and Plain Reason. And on that Facebook page, you'll see links uh, to the blog post. You'll see uh, maybe some snippets from uh, future podcasts. And it is also another good forum to leave questions, comments, to maybe even share an idea for a future podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Great. Well, we're back from our break. We were just talking about Genesis as a historical narrative. You know, one of the things that I grew up with was evolution and the fact that evolution is science and um, that is true and Uh, I think that's been the case now for a number of years. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about the differences between science, evolution, and creation? Absolutely. I mean, you could look back at it and you can say, okay, this really, the challenge or the assault on Genesis 1 and 2 particularly, uh, started about 200 years ago, maybe a little more than that. 
when the Enlightenment started getting some traction in Europe, Industrial Revolution, so many discoveries, um, that hit our shores. And uh, there was the discovery of the geological record. And so now we're seeing all kinds of fossil records and fossil caches. And so now they're looking at these layers and they're starting to try to back up time and figure out how this happened naturalistically rather than supernaturally as the scriptures describe. And then there was a man named Charles Darwin who in the 19th century, mid-19th century, decided he wanted to try to prove this theory of evolution to be the explanation for origins. So then you have Darwin's origin of the species. Along with that, you have the higher criticism that began to look at God's Word, particularly the first five books of the Old Testament, the documentary theory. It was just a crazy patchwork where they said that Moses didn't write this. This was patched together later. And so you have all of this kind of thing bubbling up to cause doubt on the scriptures. And so it wasn't long after that when you say, hey, you, you speed to the uh, middle part of the 20th century and you have the, you know, the Scopes trial. And even though, you know, William Jennings Bryan technically won, I think, on that, on that trial, I mean, we really lost because in the court of public opinion, um, the naturalist won. And it wasn't long after that, we don't even remember a time, you and I, where evolution wasn't taught as science in the public schools. So true. But here's the truth, and this is not a slap on evolution, naturalism, and Darwinism. It's just true. It is incorrect technically to refer to evolution as science. Now, I wasn't the greatest academic in science class. I enjoyed science. I enjoyed history more. Um, I was never great at math. But I, I do know that science has to be observable and repeatable. And there's nothing observable or repeatable about origins because all of us admit that there was no human present when it happened. Right. So no one can say, I tested this in the lab and therefore I've seen this. Neither can anyone uh, demonstrate that macro evolution is taking place right now. Now, that's true actually on the creation side too. We wouldn't accurately say that creationism is science, because we are not seeing anything created anymore. Mm -hmm. In fact, what we believe is after 144 hours, God was all done. Yep. No more creation. So what they actually are, we would place them in the category of history, Ryan. Not science, but history. And why we do that is because they're talking about something that happened in the past. Evolutionists and Darwinists and naturalists clearly admit there was no eyewitness. So they're not acting like somebody saw evolution take place. But as creationists, we would actually say, yeah, there was one eyewitness, and that was God. And so when God tells us how he originated everything, created everything, we now have a historical account of origins. Now, back to the person who's a skeptic or the person who says, I still have questions, big questions, those are all valid. But what we want to ask is that the theory of evolution or the theory of creationism, which one of those clearly back up and support what we observe today? So when we do science today, mm -hmm. are we seeing something that resembles the uniformitarianism or the everything, the key to the past is the present of, of evolutionary thought? Are we seeing that today? Are we seeing actually what's described in Genesis 1 to 11? 
a fall, a curse on the earth, a cataclysmic creation with God just speaking it into place, Mm -hmm. and then a global flood that changed the topography of this planet. Is that what we're seeing? And if so, which one will you believe? And I would say that the clarity here and the support, and again, I'm biased, (laughs) falls on the side of creationism, not evolutionary thought. So evolution, not science. Creationism, not science. They're both a version of history. This is how things originated. Yeah, and this is something I've struggled with for quite some time. And just to be completely transparent to our listeners, probably up to about a few weeks ago, struggled with this. And you had recommended a YouTube video that, or really a YouTube movie that I watched that is called Is Genesis History? It was excellent. And it really was excellent to hear from- We should recommend it to all our listeners. Yeah. Everybody should should really watch this. About an hour and a half. It'll be one of the best hour and a halves you've spent in a long time. Fully agree. You hear from geologists and biologists and- marine biologists and individuals that have studied Hebrew for years upon years, and they all come to the same conclusion, and it's really, really compelling. So Mm -hmm. definitely recommend that to our listeners. Absolutely. I'm glad you said that. All right. Well, Brian, where are we going next? Obviously, you can't take Genesis 1 through 11 and exposit the entire- We can't? Those entire- (laughs) No, Ah, we can't. (laughs) I'm disappointed. But I, I think our listeners would be hyped to hear about What's coming next as we kind of go through these 11 chapters? Yeah, absolutely. The attack, unfortunately, um, on the clarity of Scripture, on the confidence that we can have that what we have in Genesis 1 and 2, particularly our history, are falling in basically two categories right now, or two attacks. One is on the days here. Are these literal 24-hour, six literal 24-hour days are these longer, much longer, like billions of years? Are these just kind of symbols? And then one that's even probably, um, well, they're equally uh, vital, uh, but were Adam and Eve real people? Mm-hmm. Or were they just kind of uh, analogies and metaphors and poetry, you know, mythical figures? So we're going to start and plunge in, God willing, next episode on on the days and the sequences here in Genesis 1. And we'll actually tackle one of the big attacks that often comes that way. I want to leave us kind of just as a quote from Luther. Believe it or not, the discussion back then, during the Reformation, uh, was not about billions of years. Actually, the debate was over. There were a, a large group of believers that thought six days for God to create everything was way too long. <laughs> way too long. So there was this group of people that were proponents of God creating everything in one day. And it could not have taken the infinite God six days to create everything. And so Luther is responding to them. He's not responding to to these billions of years, naturalist, evolutionary, theistic evolutionists that we're talking about today. But But he said something that was so pertinent and so well said, as Luther would often do. He said, could you not give the Holy Spirit credit if you don't believe it was done in six days? Could you not give the Holy Spirit credit for knowing a little more than you do? <laughs> and I think that's where we do rest again. Yeah. Uh, if you come to this and you go, wow, I, I just, you know, I hear this about the age of the universe, the age of the earth, the fossil record, and all those questions should be answered. They should be explored. We don't want anything to lay hidden as though it's out of bounds to ask. 
But at the end of the day, if God says, I created it in six 24-hour days, let's give the Holy Spirit credit for knowing a little more than we do. Well said, Luther. Well, we made it through episode two. This was a blast again. It was. Looking forward to episode three. And uh, I think this is a good place to wrap. So my name is Ryan. My name is Brian. Join us again for more scripture and plain reason. Scriptures are true and the scriptures are clear.